from ED.net, welcome to this week's edition of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm Luke Nichols here at ED's headquarters in West Sussex, and we're back with a bang. After a few weeks out of the podcast studio, the ED editorial team are all reunited here for a special two-part episode of the show. So, coming up in this first part, we're stepping into a world of zero waste, first grabbing an exclusive interview with RAP's new chief executive, who discusses the importance of sustainable packaging for business to win the war on waste. There are opportunities to design packaging to be more recyclable, and we know that when that happens, that actually reduces the carbon impacts of packaging. So with this framework of consistency, it will give more information to retailers about how to do that. Then we talk the DIY economy, with the founder of a company that has developed free repair guides for virtually all technology who has an important message for electronics manufacturers. we got to figure out how to cut down consumption, build products that are higher quality, more durable, longer lasting, repairable, uh, and, and build an economy around, around repairing them. And finally, we pay a visit to the Netherlands to explore how one manufacturing giant is on a mission to make the circular economy a reality. Do you ever envisage a time where Smurfit Kappa is entirely closed loop? We're dreaming of that. We're dreaming of that. We absolutely are. And if we could reach that, we would be immensely happy, of course. And the rest of the ED editorial team are on hand here in the studio to round up some of the latest green innovations and sustainability success stories that are driving the green economy. So yes, hello and welcome along to this week's edition of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. It's Friday the 30th of September and I'm joined in what we now refer to as the ED podcast studio by ED's senior reporter Matt Mace and reporter George Ogilby. How are we? Very good, thank you. Good stuff. Glad to be back together in this room for the podcast. It's been a few weeks. Feels like we've never been apart. It feels, <laughs> yeah. feels very close. I'm used to used to broader spaces now, <laughs> yeah. being on my own. It has, it has been about uh, been about a month now, but I'll be the first to admit, yeah, I've missed coming up here on Fridays, um, having a good old chinwag about the the world of green business. Um, so apologies for not keeping to my promise um, of the weekly format of the podcast. Um, it was a one-off hiatus, uh, and we do have some very exciting podcast interviews lined up actually over the next few weeks. So hopefully that will help our listeners to forgive us. Um, Matt, you took the reins last week, didn't you? You managed the podcast yourself. You took us back to CSR school. I was having a good listen to that earlier on. How did you find that? Um, it was a, a harrowing experience. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's not too bad. It's, there's a lot, of, a lot of effort goes into mm. planning and it executing a, a podcast. It does, but yeah. it was, you know, the topics were extremely interesting. You know, I was, I was there talking to... Um, people who are tasked with generating the next generation of our listeners in mm. essence mm. um so yeah not something you want to do every week on your own but um a good experience nonetheless exactly um and george you've been just as busy haven't you um lots of trips and then today literally within the next the last few hours um big stories broken which you've been all over that's right so i was just looking forward to a nice quiet friday afternoon <laughs> yeah. and uh, suddenly the news broke but uh, i must say i was pleasantly distracted uh, by news of the uh, eu ratifying the paris agreement but more on that later mm. Mm. yeah i mean well yeah last time we were in this room a month ago um nowhere near being that being ratified um so yeah, things are really moving on fast with that, but um, moving things on fast here in the podcast studio then. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is a bumper edition of Sustainable Business Covered. Um, we haven't completely forgotten about the podcast over the past few weeks. Uh, we've been out and about at various events, 
and in various parts of the world, actually, recording various interviews. So um, lots of interviews, in fact, a bit of about embarrassment of riches, uh, really. Um, so rather than condensing them all into a single podcast, I thought it would be best to give um, your ears a bit of a rest and break this episode into two parts. So part one is all about you, George. Um, as I said earlier, you've been a busy man. Um, you were out a couple of weeks ago, weren't you, at an event? That's right. So a couple of weeks ago, if you cast your mind back, I think it was the uh, hottest day in September for, right. well, for a few years. And here I was stuck on a train to Birmingham. In your suit and tie. In your suit hot. and tie. Yeah. Top button done. Up. <laughs> yeah. All works. But, um, so I made my way up to Birmingham mm-hmm. to the uh, RWM conference, which is uh, centering around uh, resource management. Um, so yeah, I had a few good chats, starting off with the new RAP chief exec, Marcus Gubber. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he replaced Liz. That's right, Liz Goodwin. Liz Goodwin, start of June, I think. Liz had been there for nine years, so a veteran. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and I think and Marcus has also been there for around nine or ten years now as well, I think. So um, anyway, I suppose rather than talking about the man, uh, let's hear from him directly. Um, let's get straight into it. Here's George's chat with Marcus Gover in full. Marcus, a uh, couple of months into your new role now, uh, how are you finding things as CEO as rap? Enjoying the additional responsibility? Yeah, it's going really well. And it's a great team at RAP, so I'm delighted to take over from Liz as, as chief executive. It's um, big boots to fill, as I said before. But I'm looking forward to doing great things with RAP going forward. That's great to hear. So, um, yeah, your predecessor, Liz, said she was uh, very confident you would lead RAP through its next stage of development. I was wondering if you could tell us what exactly is that next stage and sort of what are your top priorities for RAP? Our focus really is the same as before. I mean, we're we're focused on food and drink textiles and electricals and the reason is that they are a big chunk of the carbon footprint a big chunk of the water footprint and also about 40% of household waste in the UK so that's why we focus on those areas but of course resource management underpins all of those so that's our fourth priority that doesn't change that's all in our plan that we published last year which was the resource revolution securing the future which runs till 2020 so we steam on with that uh, no stopping. The consistency that we re- launched today is a big part of that. So that's definitely one of the priorities for this coming year. Communications with consumers is really important. And lots of activity around Recycle Week, getting lots of sort of good messages around the unusual suspects that we're running. It seems to be going down really well, getting awareness up. So that will carry on. Similarly with consumers, love food, hate waste, helping to drive uh, food waste reduction with consumers, helping them to save money and to not waste food, that remains a priority. Love your clothes, there's another one of those, helping consumers to look after their clothes better, a whole lot of videos telling you how to sort of sew on buttons and repair things. I don't know if you'd know how to sew a button onto your jacket, I'm sure you would, Um, but telling you how to do that. And um, when people want to fix things these days, they tend to look on YouTube and look how to do it. Well, that's all there on Love Your Clothes to help you for clothes. So those sort of priorities carry on just as before. So um, it's, as I said, uh, RAP today launched a new report uh, about the potential for a new industrial framework. Um, How would such a framework actually come to fruition? And uh, what would you say are the, the key enablers? So by that, I think you mean the framework for consistency, is that right? Yes, yes. Um, Well, this is actually the culmination of working for the last year with an advisory group, which is drawn from 
food producers, retailers, local authorities, waste companies, and just looking at how the whole chain can work together to really improve efficiency, save money, increase recycling, increase quality, and make it better for consumers. And no one part of that chain can do it alone. It's, it's not just about local authorities. It's about everyone working together. The first part of that is trying to be consistent about what we recycle. So if we all recycle the same things, it would be much simpler to label something would just be recyclable or not recyclable. And if we've got that system, then the retailers can respond to that. And you know, once they've looked at, you know, obviously packaging is there to do a particular job. As long as it does that, they can then look at recyclability and make sure it fits within that system. Some things won't be recyclable, but we can just label them as such. So we just make it easier for consumers and we'll start to increase recycling and save money. We can go further, though, and we present a model which has looked at the, the wealth of experience across local authorities about different ways of doing things and try to sort of bring it down to just three systems um, which are around... You know, a single stream, a dual stream and a multi-stream approach and when you look at what's going on that's essentially what we're doing really but by sort of providing information on the best practice for how to do that trying to make the business case for change to it we can help local authorities to try and get the best value and offer the best service to their residents So for businesses uh, specifically retailers what is the key message here? Um, should, should labelling be clearer? Should all packaging be fully recyclable? How exactly can business win the uh, warm waste? A lot of our household waste is packaging, as, as you say. Um, but you have to remember that packaging is there for a purpose. It protects the products, extends the shelf life of food, so it helps prevent food waste. And if we prevent food waste from an environmental impact point of view, that far outweighs the packaging itself. So you've got to keep that front of mind. But having said that, there are opportunities to design packaging to be more recyclable. And we know that when that happens, that actually reduces the carbon impacts of packaging, making it more recyclable, increasing the recycling rate of it. So with this framework of consistency, it will give more information to retailers about how to do that and and help them into giving their customers a better offer too. So uh, also launched today was a new Suez report, uh, essentially calls for the new department uh, to embed the circular economy principles into its new industrial strategy for a system of enhanced producer responsibility and tax breaks. Do you agree that um, this new department, uh, Bees or Bays as I think it's pronounced, uh, should be taking a strong focus in this area? It was a very interesting report from Suez today and it was talking about the opportunity from the resource management sector and it was talking about how we could help the environment, how we could help business and how we could help the economy and I think it's really important we put that message across. The industrial strategies are obviously how Britain plans to to grow in the future and I think our sector can help with that so it's important that we communicate those messages to the new department so they can see how we can help. So I did think it was a very important report today with some really interesting ideas. Some are easier to do than others, some make more sense than others, but really good contribution I thought to, to what we're trying to do. When you throw Brexit into the mix, I suppose it has the potential to further complicate things. So what's the key to ensuring Brexit is a, is a positive thing for our environment and resources? Obviously Brexit is an opportunity for us to all reevaluate how we're working and what we're doing. And I think it's, it, it brings out the opportunity that the circular economy can give. It's an opportunity which says that um, we can look at making goods last longer, reducing the demand for imports, 
we import a lot of our electrical goods for instance we import a lot of our clothes if they lasted longer we wouldn't need to import so much but an economy could develop around that a, a repair economy and the UK is very good at services so I think there's an opportunity for us to use that experience and skills we have at services to contribute to the circular economy it's not just about products at the same time recycling can really support our manufacturing sector and there's an opportunity for that to happen too and that's what the, the report today was also about so uh, just lastly what would your message be for sustainability professionals what one thing would you like them to focus on or uh, help to drive to accelerate the shift to a circular economy clearly the circular economy is about a lot more than recycling it's about changing the way we produce things changing the way we sell things changing the way we recycle things Um, recycle week is about recycling and recycling is very important we have a great infrastructure across the uk of recycling we don't use it as well as we could so recycling week is about drawing awareness telling people how to use the systems we know people want to recycle we know they are a bit confused about the different systems so hence the consistency project and recycle week is reminding them about for instance the unusual suspects is a theme and that's things like packaging in the bathrooms which people don't think about recycling think about the kitchen there's lots in the bathroom that you can recycle too and it's really about helping to do that. It goes hand in hand with the recycling locator, which is on the Recycle Now website. And that means for your particular house, just from your location or your postcode, you can see exactly what recycling is provided to you and know exactly what to do with the stuff that you have for recycling. So Recycling Week is all about building the success story that recycling has been since we started doing it. It's become a way of life in the UK. Thank you very much, Marcus. Great stuff. Uh, thank you to Marcus there. Good time to be chatting with him as well. I think it was um, Recycle Week, obviously, as uh, as you were talking to him there, George. Mm. So um, on to your next chat then. Um, who else did you speak to? So later on in the day, I spoke to um, a man called Carl Weens, who is the co-founder or founder, should I say, of um, iFixit, which is an online repair kit tool. So essentially, it's an online tool where anyone and any everyone can go with any device that may be broken and there's an online manual that for most devices whether it's a kettle ipad phone and it's just a forum where people can go and get their devices fixed hmm. yeah i must admit i, I hadn't heard of iFixit before had you heard of them Matt? no i can't say i had no <laughs> um yeah before i saw them uh, until i saw them on the speaker lineup actually for that conference but um Having seen the business and looked at some of the guides they produce, it's uh, it's amazing. Um, I saw earlier today actually that they put up new repair guides for the new iPhone Seven, um, which I know actually you talked um, to Kyle about, George. Um, but also just saw a, a tweet about a uh, they put a tweet out earlier the iFixit Twitter account, which is quite a fun account actually, and. Um, they put out a picture of a Commodore 64 computer, mm. um, if anyone remembers, remembers those. Um, before my time. <laughs> yeah, probably before all of our time, yeah, actually, to be fair. I said if everyone remembers those, I, probably, I didn't really remember those. We didn't have but um, that's been used. They tweeted out a picture and said this has been used by a, an auto repair shop f- um, for balancing drive shafts. And it's been working non-stop for 25 years, um, just through the users repairing the equipment when it breaks rather than replacing it. I'm not sure that that computer would be up to the task hmm. for companies like Apple, but um, nonetheless, a great example of what can be achieved if the DIY approach is taken to the circular economy for electronics. 
Anyway, let's get stuck into your interview then, George. Um, and a great one it is too. Here's George's chat with iFixit founder Kyle Weens in full. And I'm joined by Carl Wings, who's the uh, founder of iFixit, which is an online free repair manual. That would have been very helpful for me right now because I have a broken phone in my bag. I was one of the guys who put the hand up in the uh, speech, but yeah, I'll definitely make sure I go on your uh, site and we can sort that out. But um, perhaps you could just begin by giving us a brief overview of what iFixit is, how it works, and why you decided to launch it. Yeah, iFixit is a community of people that want to know how to fix things. And and have managed to figure out, you know, some of us have figured out how to repair something. So somebody takes apart their toaster, their kettle, figures out how to fix it, and then they post instructions. And then the next person comes along and finds them and maybe makes those instructions better. So we're a Wikipedia for people teaching each other how to repair their stuff. And uh, it's been really fun. We have uh, millions of people every month on the site teaching each other how to do things that they would have never imagined. We've got moms fixing iPhones for their kids. We've got kids fixing lamps for their parents it's a really fun ecosystem as you say it has become very popular I'm going to put you on the spot I don't know if you know it or not but it'd be, it'd be good to see if, uh, if you have the figures do you have any idea how much e-waste your company may have prevented from going to landfill I don't know. We helped about 80 million people fix things last year worldwide. Uh, about 60 of those are, well, 40% of those are in the U.S. The rest are international. Um, so it's it's a large number, but, yeah, you take those 80 million, multiply it by. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So it's a great time to be talking to you. Oh, just a few days, Apple will release its new iPhone. Um, and we reported on it specifically the fact that um, lots of old headphones may now be redundant and could quickly become e-waste. So what do you make of that? Yeah, I'm not a fan of the headphone switch. I'm, I'm sympathetic with, with why they're doing it. I really like my headphones. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep them. So I'll probably, if I have to upgrade to a phone, I'll, I'm going to keep keep using phones that have uh, headphone jacks. Uh, but maybe I'm old-fashioned that way. I think in general, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm more concerned about the trend toward integrated batteries in the uh, Bluetooth ear, ear sets. Mm-hmm. If we go to uh, if we go to headphones that are glued together and have these batteries integrated, that's really a problem because batteries only last about 400 uses and then you need to toss them out. So you're talking about, they just announced pricing, so it's 159 pounds for the AirPods, their wireless headphones. So you're talking 159 pounds for something that you can only use a few hundred times. That's crazy. And then we're here, we're the recycling show, we're surrounded by all kinds of recycling equipment. None of this high-tech equipment here can recycle devices with batteries integrated in them. When you run them through shredders, they cause fire hazards. And a lot of electronics recyclers are having problems with fires these days. So I haven't seen anybody demonstrate to me a way that you can recycle a product with a glued-in battery safely. And that's a real concern. Yeah, it is quite staggering when you put it like that. Um, so companies like Apple, they obviously they don't provide repair parts and documentation in 10 users. Do you think they should? Yeah, if you're buying a product, uh, particularly an expensive product, you expect that there's going to be a life cycle taken care of there, right? You expect that you know if it breaks in the first year, you're going to be able to get it repaired under warranty. If it breaks after that, you're going to be able to pay to get it fixed for a reasonable amount. Uh, but 
what's happening increasingly is you'll buy a, a fifteen hundred pound computer and you and you break the screen and they say, oh well, we'll we'll repair the screen for you for twelve hundred quid. You, that doesn't make any sense. It might as well just get a new computer at that point. So yeah, you have to have these companies making parts available at a reasonable price. They have to make service information available, and you know that used to be the way that everything worked. All products came with service manuals. All manufacturers made service parts available, and over time, that's being uh, that's less and less common, and that's really something that needs to change. So if you had uh, sort of one message or uh, one thing you'd like to see companies and retailers especially, like Apple, do to drive the circular economy, what would that be? Yeah, so work with communities like us. Uh, we have a open, you know, anyone can put repair manuals on iFixit. We'd love it to work with manufacturers. We already do work with folks like Patagonia and Fairphone where they're putting service information on iFixit. We'd love to partner with them or just make it available on, your, on their own website. Uh, Dell and HP both make service manuals available on their websites, and that's fantastic. Mm. So we want to encourage companies that are doing that. If you're thinking about buying a laptop, both Dell and HP have service manuals available and they sell parts for their laptops, where Sony and Apple and Toshiba don't. So maybe that's a good argument for, for supporting a company like that. Uh, but in general, across the board, we want to see all of these companies making more information available, selling service parts, and building future business models around supporting a long lifespan for these products. Hmm. So um, over the past couple of years, we've seen companies like LG move into the servitization space. Um, so offering repairs of the products. I think LG has added equipment repair sections into um, some of its stores. So do you at least see some ambition there from companies, and would you like to see more of that? Yeah, well, you've got Apple making over a billion dollars a year fixing iPhones. So absolutely, there's a lot of these companies uh, that are in this space, and that's wonderful. I mean, the more people that are fixing things, the, the better. We need to see more of that. E-waste is a, is a huge problem. Uh, I think as much as 50 million tonnes of e-waste are disposed worldwide each year. So uh, what do you think holds the key to tackling that problem? Well, we need to reduce the amount of consumption that's happening. We're buying too many new products. Globally, we manufactured close to 2 billion cell phones last year. I don't think we need to be making 2 billion new phones every year for a planet of 7 billion people. These phones ought to be lasting a lot longer than that. So we got to figure out how to cut down consumption, build products that are higher quality, more durable, longer lasting, repairable, uh, and, and build an economy around around repairing them. Uh, so if, if you look at a, manufacturing a phone, maybe there's five pounds in labor in, in Asia to build the phone. But every time you fix it, you could have 50 pounds in, in uh, you know, actual like train service happening here. So we need to shift from a material extraction economy to a service-based economy. Um, so lastly, I fix it as showing us the huge benefits and potential of the sharing economy or do-it-yourself economy. Uh, so as a way of like, like driving product sustainability, how important is it that sharing economy uh, principles are embedded in our culture if we are to ignite a global shift to a circular economy? Consumers are going to have to become more thoughtful. We're going to have to buy fewer new things. We're going to have to take more care of the things that we have. Uh, the, the things that we buy are going to have to be utilized better. We, we got to shift away from this world where we buy things just because it feels good, use them for short periods of time, and toss them away. 
And I think I think we're well on the way toward that. I think there's going to be a generational shift, uh, and and younger folks are, are less interested in owning all of these things. And you know, some new models, things like Uber, makes it possible for us to get away with not having to buy a car. So that's that's wonderful. So I don't think we're going to move to a post ownership society, but we're going to own fewer things, and the things that we do own are going to mean more to us. And that's really the way it ought to be. Carl, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Fascinating stuff there from Kyle. Um, it would be great to have him speak at one of our own events, actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, Kyle, if you're listening, uh, we're coming for you. Um, that was a bit of a creepy way to end that, in that segment. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, uh, let's keep this all within one take. Um, on to George's next trip. Tell us about it, George. Okay, so um, a week ago now, I was invited on a trip uh, out into Holland. Um, South Holland to a paper mill uh, it's an innovative paper mill by mm-hmm. um, a company packaging company who are really pioneers of the circular economy mm-hmm. so they invited me along to the uh, to this mill in particular and uh, it's a real it's a real sustainability success story um, some stuff like 80% of uh, the raw fiber for paper is recycled the rest of it comes from virgin fibre, but they said it, which is a necessity. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's not just uh, this; they also have some real innovative um, systems. They've got a CHP system, mm-hmm. a, a water treatment facility. It's just it was a real fascinating site. Yeah, um, sounded like a really well put together trip. And so the business was Smurfit Kappa. Smurfit Kappa. Um, yeah, useful and insightful tour for you, I'm sure. Um, and it was all documented in a great feature that um, you wrote, George, about Smurfit Kappa earlier this week. Um, so who did you speak to on the trip? So um, I had a tour on the mill and then afterwards I was in, uh, invited to the office of the group Vice President of Development, Stephen Stoffer, a real passionate and dedicated uh, man who was... Uh, it was a very interesting interview, mm-hmm. as you will be about to witness. Okay, yeah. So, uh, and with this interview, actually, we're not going to we're not going to give the full game away here. Um, I've decided just to include a short ten minute excerpt from your chat with Stephen. Um, and this was so. This was in the office following your tour. It was in his office, wasn't it? That's right. Okay. Um, well, here's a little teaser of that chat. Well, it has to be something that is coming from the people itself. And I think uh, the story of Ruhrmont is a good example of that, where the people on the ground, they realize, they see, A, they, they have a vision themselves, and they, they, they see that at the group level, this whole subject is taken very seriously. And so that's how you make progress, because the progress has to come from the, from the individual operations. We can make a group, we can make a nice strategy, um, but the people have to be behind that. And so enable the people to do that, that's, a, that's a, an enabler for the process, and um, stimulate and uh, communicate about, uh, about the principles that we think are, are right. Mm-hmm and um, stimulate the people to, to go forward. Mm. And looking at Roland in particular, um, and the 100% recycled product, can you see this sort of <coughs> model being applied to the other factories and other mills? Uh, Bits and pieces are applied. Yeah. Every mill is unique in the sense that it is located in, in, in a certain region, 
and depending on what is available around your mill, you have an easier way of dealing, for example, with those side streams or with wastes. there's an element of geography there and of distance, of course. Mm. So, um, bits and pieces are copied, and every mill has its own, in that sense, has its own uniqueness. Um, so we don't have a, a template where we say, okay, this is how we do the Roumont, and now we can copy it 35 times. No, that's not the way to do it. Mm. It is really a unique thing, but I would say the most important thing is that people on the ground realize that if their neighbor can do it in Roumont, then they can learn how he did it and, and in the process, and then copy that to their own their own factory. Mm. I know a big thing for um, the company is behaviour change and the how the way that you engage with um, employees. Um, have, have, how easy or tough have you found it to sort of um, ensure that all employees are on board and how important is it to make sure that this happens? We have 45,000 people, so it is not easy to reach all of those. Um, that is one of the reasons why we are communicating a little bit more proactively than we did five, six years ago. Then we were still um, in the process of making our house in order. We are now ready to communicate more with the people to the outside, but mm-hmm. externally, but also internally. Mm-hmm. And um, with that, we hope to make, let's say, the second step. Um, in the beginning, it was sort of making the house, and now we have to make sure that we can, can duplicate that. And can you elaborate on what that second step is? Well, as I, as I said, um, uh, we have reached 100% in a chain of custody, mm-hmm. but particularly in waste and in, um, in the CO2 and in water, COD discharge, mm-hmm. we have still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So, And... Um, I suppose one of the biggest challenges for a company is is matching business growth with energy consumption. Is that has that been an easy match, or has that been? Hard? It's a challenge. Yeah. I mean, in a business like ours, where it is volume driven, uh, more production typically means also more resources, um, more waste. Everything is more, and so. What, let's say a challenge going through all of these five strategic uh, areas is that how can we do more um, uh, how, how can we how can we produce more by using uh, in a more efficient way resources um, and those kind of things so that is that is a, a real challenge mm. and what would you say is the biggest challenge is it regulatory is it um, or is it sort of like material uh, scarcity or yeah I think the, it is technological um, it's not regulation I mean regulation sometimes is uh, not easy to deal with mm. um, but how to um, how, how to make more out of out of less so um, and we all know the industry itself is, is also on, on the way to do that I mean papers are becoming lighter mm. and still have the same performance as more heavy papers mm. heavier papers so that's also uh, a very important element because if you lighter papers you have automatically lower energy use per let's say per square meter mm. and we count in square meters mm. the, the, the product and you have 
Lot square meter, but a lighter paper, which means less fiber, mm. and therefore less CO2 and less energy use and less water, and all of that. Mm. You have very ambitious goals, and I think you have to be ambitious if you want if you want to achieve anything. Mm. Do you ever envisage a time where Smurfit Kappa is entirely closed loop everything, well, every production? We're dreaming of that. We're dreaming of that. We absolutely are, and um, if we could. Uh, reach that uh, we would be Im- immensely happy of course um, <coughs> I'm convinced there will be a time that we will be able to close the loops um, for the moment technology prohibits us for, for having 100% non-fossils um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an industry um, but um, it, 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 as I said in the beginning I think that it is a journey so you as, as technology develops, um, we will get there. Just to give one example that you, you don't realize so so easily, but I was looking at a statistic where it was that in 1967, I believe it was, and now today we use per unit 50% less, 50% less energy. So. Um, uh, and I think it was even more, it was more like 55 to 60 percent. So my point is that if you take one or two years, you don't see much difference. But if you take 10, 20, 30 years, then a lot can be done. And um, a lot will be done by 50-50. I, I have no doubt about that. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, um, Perfect Kappa, a pioneer in the packaging industry, um, how confident are you that the rest of the industry can follow suit now in terms of uh, r- uh, achieving circular economy principles? Well, they can, uh, and they, they don't necessarily have to be uh, huge companies to do that. I mean, of course, scale helps. We have many possibilities to do things and to 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 to. to to harvest that economy of scale example if you are a single operation company then it is maybe more difficult yes um, but I see in the end there will be more consolidation in the industry and, and so you will get larger entities um, which will make it easier probably for, for those companies to do it as well on the other hand if you have a passionate leader as a single operation then I'm sure that that single person is capable of doing enormous good things. So um, uh, it, it takes it takes the the vision of people and it takes the it takes the belief that it is not just a cost, but it is that you're doing it um, for many purposes and, and that it is really possible to combine the business uh, the business purposes or the business objective together with the not the sustainability objectives. There we go then. Um, and as I said, that's just one part of George's chat with Stephen um, during his tour of Smurfit Kappa's site down there in the Netherlands. Um, it was down in a little town or city called Roermond, wasn't Roermond, it? Roermond, yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Just uh, situated uh, in between Germany, uh, Belgium and Holland. So. Oh, okay, right on the border. Mm. Interesting. So yeah, hopefully that's enticed the listeners to have a read of the the feature. Um, it's called The Story of uh, Ramond. I just had a thought, actually, we could have called it Everybody Loves Ramond. It would have worked quite well. Missed the trick there. But, um, and that's up on the edu.net website. Now uh, I'll include a link alongside um, that story with this podcast. But if you just search for Smurf at Kappa on ED, you should find it there. So thank you, George. Now, um, I'm aware that it's 
almost been an hour uh, that Matt has been sat there in the corner patiently waiting to wow us with his innovation of the week. Um, the regular listeners of this podcast will know that Matt writes a weekly feature on Edie covering off the best green innovations of the week um, and he picks out his favourites here to discuss. So what have you got for us yeah, this nobody, week, Matt? Nobody puts Matt in the corner for, for too long. <laughs> um, I was going to originally talk to talk to everyone about rocket ships, um, okay. what with the SpaceX explosion and obviously the Rosetta crash this week. I oh, thought yeah. it would be quite... Um, Quite well timed, but then I realised I can't bluff my way through enough about um, <laughs> enough about kind of rocket engineering to be able to talk to you about it. So instead, I'm going to move on to something about wearable tech, okay. um, much more easier to grasp. And so it's a kind of a double up of innovations, um, which were featured last week. The first one is um, from the North Carolina State University, which is all about um, capturing escaped body heat from the body. So as you walk, your your body's obviously um, letting off this heat into the environment and it's all about wearing these kind of almost like suction pads that capture the heat wire it into a device to generate electricity and and from there the the aim is it would be used to power things on your body so whilst you could have a a smart watch or something like that i think they're thinking more along of heart monitors or generally boosting health activity by powering the the energy that's needed to run those devices through your own body so so Wait, so you, your body heat, where, where, is your body, where is your body heat captured? It's captured through these little kind of suction pads okay, that stuck to your body, okay. which are then wired out, almost like when you're doing a, um, a fitness test and they kind of wire you yeah, up yeah, to yeah, the treadmill yeah. to read your monitor. They're just doing that, but with a portable device, oh, well, which can okay. generate electricity, it can read your vital signs and okay. stuff like that. And it's, the aim is then to then boost that electricity back into, if you had a heart monitor, it'd keep that ticking over nicely. Okay, have you seen pictures of this? Is this um, it's, yeah, it's, it looks very kind of dull. Um, the pictures <laughs> don't do it justice, in my opinion. It's just like a, a yellow monitor with okay, a couple okay. of wires coming out of it. It's I can't imagine it would be the most comfortable either. <laughs> no, no, but you know, if, if, you're, uh, if, it, if it can uh, save your life, you're yeah. not going to say no to it, are you? But um, one perhaps slightly more stylistic is... Um, taking place in the Georgia Institute of Technology and mm-hmm. they're kind of developing fabric which acts as um, solar panels almost. Okay. So you could be walking down the street, you could have a smartphone in your pocket and that pocket could be generating the energy to power your smartphone. They've managed to weave photovoltaics into the fibre and you can, uh, at the moment I think it's it's not quite, it is durable, it is stretchable they say, Um and they also say it could be used as a flag, so you've got now got the potential for solar power flags. But um, they, they went through a really weird measurement process where like, if you shook someone's hand for two minutes, you would generate X amount of energy. Mm. I don't know why people shake people's hands for two minutes, <laughs> but maybe if you need to power your smartphone, that's what you, uh, that's what you do. But it's this whole concept that you are, you are using your, the energy you expend or just for your everyday movement to power, power okay. your necessities. You always kind of put crazy images in my head so the first one i've just got a man with loads of wires kind of coming off him and the second one i've got a man covered in these mini sort of solar panels are we talking loads of solar panels just in certain areas of clothing that you can't tell the solar panels it's literally okay. it's like almost like you've taken a solar panel and you've unraveled it into like a piece of string okay, and then yeah. it's rewoven back almost underneath the fabric oh, wow. so you wouldn't necessarily know it just looks like general kind of cloth or cotton yeah, yeah, and even then with the um with the other guy, with the, all the wires coming out of him, it's not kind of like some matrix thing. <laughs> it's very much under the shirt type stuff going on. Fascinating. Um, okay, great. Yeah, that certainly has wowed me. Well, um, there you have it then. That just about wraps up part one of this week's episode of Sustainable Business Covered. 
Now don't go anywhere because part two is coming right up. Next, we'll be talking responsible retail. Um, and Matt, you'll be going behind the scenes, well, you went behind the scenes at ED's latest conference with some really big interviews. Um, we'll be hearing from Forum for the Future, Coca-Cola Enterprises, John Lewis, Mud Jeans, and more. So stay tuned for that. Uh, this episode will appear on iTunes as e- and ED um, as episode 11, and then in brackets, we'll just have part one. And the next episode, of course, will have part two in brackets. Just search uh, Sustainable Business Covered on iTunes to download them straight to your phone for free. Anyway, that's it from part one. We'll see you on the other side for part two. Part two.